Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile the same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How, then, can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Lord, as we come to your scriptures today, um, to open them, to hear from you, I pray um, that you would speak a word to each of us, this great truth, Lord, that you and your Son have drawn near to us, your word has drawn near to us, and that we simply must believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths. So I pray that we could do that this morning. Receive your word with faith, with hope, with expectation, and respond with a yes to everything that you have done for us. And I ask, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, welcome to St. Bart's. It's a pretty exciting morning we've already had before 9.33. Um, thank you again for your patience with the fire alarm. Um, as I said, there's a school, uh, Highlands Christian School, that's moving in uh, to the bottom part of Redeemer here, and uh, there's some construction that goes along with that. And again, that's signs of life, that this building is being used by three different entities, all working together um, for the purpose of spreading the gospel and building the kingdom. So that's all good stuff. I like that. Um, I want to start today with our collect. Um, if you'll turn to page two, a collect, um, if you've been at our services or if you've been in an Anglican context or a liturgical context, you'll have these what are called collects. Um, and it's not just a fancy way to mispronounce a word. Um, you record a record, and you collect a collect. So a collect is the noun form of a collected thought or theme. And the idea of the collects is to give a focus, uh, typically for that week's readings, an idea to sort of anchor our thoughts and center our minds. And if you follow the daily office, which is the prayers uh, throughout the week, you would say the same collect every day of the week. 
so that its truth, uh, you could marinate on it. And this collect is very short, but very powerful. Almighty God, give us the increase of faith, hope, and love, and that we may obtain what you have promised, make us love what you command. I hope that strikes you as paradoxical. <laughs> make us love what you command. That's its own mystery. And then the fact that in loving what you command, we obtain what he has promised. To obtain what he has promised, we have to be people of faith, hope, and love. We have to have faith that he is who he says he is, that he can do what he says he does. Namely, to join us to Christ, to save us, and to bring us to himself. And our hope is in that he will come again like he has promised, and that we will be with him forever. And then the greatest of these, of course, is love, that we would be people of love. But the prayer, and this is a thought that is deep in the history and the thought and the theology of the church is that we need to be made to love what God commands. To me, here is a secret of the Christian life and the spiritual life. There's a book called You Are What You Love. That's the idea. You become what you love. What you give your affection, your attention to, you will love. We will do that which we love. Love will be the great motivator. The way that we say it is, you become what you behold. So when we behold Christ, we become more like him. But the truth here that I want to hang on to is that love is the great motivator. It is the greatest motivator of all. We can only live out of the capacity of our will for so long, trying to be good, trying to do the right things, white-knuckling it over and over and over again, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work for me, and it doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for any of us because we're not meant to live from our wills. We're meant to live from our hearts, from the place of affection. This, this prayer, this colic, poses us a question. What if we actually loved what God commanded? Then we would have an almost inexhaustible energy to do what he's asked us to do. Because love is the great motivator. The way that Jesus puts this is, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because we've been trained to live out of our wills, we think of that precisely backwards. <laughs> Show that you love me by doing what I said, is what we think Jesus means. But it's the opposite. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love is the great motivator. How do we come to love what he commands? By growing in our love of God. And how do we grow in our love? By growing in our faith. And here is what Paul in these verses from Romans 10 is at pains to show us. Faith is the fuel of love. Faith is the fuel of love. In faith, we entrust ourselves to God. We entrust himself, ourselves to him, saying that you are who you say you are and that you can do what you say you can do, meaning that you can save us, that you can make us like yourself. It's, yes, that one-time act of confessing with our mouth, so important, but it is also the ongoing journey of entrusting ourselves to God every day, 
the journey of faith, the pilgrimage of faith. It's an act of trust that He is our righteousness, meaning that our status before God as beloved children begins and ends with faith, not with do the stuff and prove that you love me. (laughs) Love me. Love me, and I will change you into the one who loves what I command. In these verses uh, before us in Romans 10, and I had to do it, Romans is catnip for me, okay? For most preachers it is, but for me especially. um, I'm going to give you a little embarrassing fact that will tell you a lot about me. My email address when I was in high school was romanroad at yahoo.com. Okay, so the first thing that that tells you is that I was no fun in high school. And the second thing is that I really like Romans. And the Roman road, if you aren't familiar with it, is that you take the sequence of verses from Romans and it lays out the gospel. It's pretty effective. And I love it. I did kill that email address eventually. But what Paul does here is so fascinating because he's just dumping quote after quote after quote from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Isaiah, the Psalms, the book of Joel, all in one chapter, (laughs) multiple quotes. Deuteronomy, Leviticus, the law, Isaiah, Joel, the prophets, Psalms, the Psalms, the full span of Israel's scriptures and so Therefore, the full span of the story of faith that God has been telling. From Genesis all the way to Revelation now. And what Paul is saying is that the story of faith is the story of the people of God from beginning to end. And that there's always been sort of two ways to respond to that. One is the righteousness that comes from the law. And one is the righteousness that comes from faith. And he has two characters, in a way, speaking Verse 5, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. That's one person. Here's the problem and what the rest of Romans is about. No one can do it. You can't do it. It would be great if we could keep the law, but we can't. So that righteousness that is based on the law is not available to us. But there is a righteousness that is available to us based on faith. And what does he say? Verse 6, The righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. We could spend all our time in those two verses because what Paul is doing is fascinating. That is Deuteronomy chapter 30. He's taking verses from Deuteronomy chapter 30 and then he's commenting on them in the reality of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he's saying what those verses are really about is the fact that faith is everything. The righteous shall live by faith. We can have righteousness before God through belief. So do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. What is Paul saying? We can't bring Christ down from the heavens. He's already done that. He came to us. We don't have to go to him. We don't have to go down to the deep either because he went down there too, into the abyss and came up out of death. What Paul is saying by using Deuteronomy 
He's saying that Christ is the full span of righteousness, that he bridges all space and all time in his fulfillment of all things. Dustin, from All Saints, who preached last week, mentioned this. One of the Old Testament readings this summer is the story of Jacob's ladder, that Jacob falls asleep, he's sleeping on the stone, and he sees a ladder spanning from heaven down to earth, angels ascending and descending on it, and that God is at the bottom of the ladder speaking with him. And Jesus says to Nathaniel, who is Bartholomew, by the way, our namesake, he says, you will see angels ascending and descending on me, the Son of Man. I'm the bridge from the ascent to the descent. I am the full span of righteousness. This is the way that Paul, that Paul puts it in the verse just before our reading today. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Why? Because he fulfills all of it. He's the full span of righteousness. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That's the good news. The good news which makes us evangelical in that sense because that's what that word means, that we are people who proclaim the good news, that we believe that there is good news to share and that when people respond to it in faith that God does what he actually says he will do, which is save us. I was at Half Price Books this week. Again, big surprise that I'm walking around Half Price Books. Book caught my uh, peripheral vision. I won't tell you what section. You can probably guess. The title was called, of this book is Mastering Your Own Spiritual Freedom. Now, there are lots of books who have that message, but not all of them are as bold to just slap it on the cover. <laughs> and the message of that book, and so many books, and I would say books that end up in the Christian section too, is that you're the master of your own spiritual freedom, that it's up to you. But Paul is saying the exact opposite. He's saying our faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is in the faithful one. Our faith is in the one who is faithful on our behalf who fulfills the law for us, who is the full span of righteousness, who did not stay at the top of the ladder but descends into the full depths of our human experience. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, including the full experience of death. And again, this is why it's so important that maybe this is the part of the creed you mumble, but don't mumble it. Say it loud. He descended to the dead. He descended to the dead. What Paul says is he descended into the abyss. And if he can come up from the abyss, that means he can bring us from up from the abyss. That's the good news. His solidarity with us is total. He takes on himself the full sweep of human experience, including death. Not just in appearance, but in actuality, descending to the place of the dead and bringing up captives with him. That's the hope of resurrection. The last half of our reading urges us to proclaim this news. The good news we are urged to proclaim is in these verses. We don't have to ascend the ladder. We don't have to descend the depths. He came to us. The word is near. That's what Paul then quotes again from Deuteronomy 30. The word is near you. The word has drawn near to you in your mouth and in your heart. I think it's so important to pause 
and ask, why does Paul quote the Old Testament so extensively here? Because he wants to show that this gospel is in continuity with the character of God from the very beginning. That God's intention always is to relate to his people by faith. Abraham believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness. That same offer is open to us. That's what Paul is saying. The story of the Jews is now the story of the Gentiles. It's for all, it's for everyone. And he sums this idea up so beautifully in Romans 15. Paul says, for whatever was written in our former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. He's talking about the Old Testament. And he models for us exactly what he's talking about. Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Isaiah, Joel, the Psalms. And it all gets summed up in this wonderful phrase, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Which, guess what, is a quote from the Old Testament. Joel 2, 32. The Old Testament is there, the full scriptures are there to build us up in hope endurance and encouragement. It's meant to build up our faith, and faith is the fuel of love. The more that we entrust ourselves to the God who loves us, the more that we will love him, and the more that we will love him, the more that we will desire what he's promised and love what he commands. So Paul gathers his thoughts together here and says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He says, the word has drawn near to you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. It's not just a matter of the mouth and it's not just a matter of the heart. One of the many things that he's pointing at here, I think that's important for us, is the wholeness of the human person the integrity that's meant to be had between mouth and heart. What's going on in here should match what's coming out of here. That's one of our values is wholeness and healing. When we talk about wholeness, it's not just that we want to be restored to wholeness. We want to acknowledge that we are total psychosomatic beings. We're not just souls and we're not just bodies. We are embodied souls and sold bodies that God cares about all of it. And so his gospel is for our hearts and for our mouths. Every morning in morning prayer, there's this phrase, Lord, open my lips. Why? That my mouth might proclaim your praise. What is a mouth for? What is the ultimate purpose of our mouths but to praise God, to worship him? As our psalm said, to worship him in the beauty of holiness, that everyone is in the temple crying glory, that's what a mouth is for. And what Paul is saying is that the overflow of our mouth, the, flow, the words of our mouth can be from the overflow of our hearts. Not just words only, but from the deepest part of who we are. And so that brings us back to love. Because the heart is the place of affection. The heart is where we believe that the word has drawn near to us. In English, the word believe is actually related to an older word, which means to beloved. 
faith has an element of the intellect. It absolutely does. We have to know who God is. We have to know true things about God to confess them. But it's not just to say, I believe in those, this list of things. It's I beloved the God that these realities point to. The creed is a summation of those things, but it's not meant as an intellectual assent. So when we come to the creed in a moment, just you can even make this transposition. I beloved, I beloved the Almighty God who is creator of all things. I beloved his Son, Jesus Christ. I beloved the Holy Spirit. Faith is a mystery. <laughs> we have one of the most iconic stories in our gospel that encapsulates the mystery of faith. The word draws near to the boat in the midst of chaos and says, come. Says it to Peter, says it to us. There's a great little commentary in the Apostles' Creed by a guy named Ben Myers, no relation. And he says this about faith and belief. And think of the image of the boat as I read this. When I take the first step, I start to see the whole world through the eyes of God's promise. I start to live in an environment of trust. That's Abraham leaving his fathers and going to the land that God promised. That's Peter coming off the boat. That's everyone who's ever said, I believe or I beloved. So maybe you're in a place where you've never taken that step and it's just a step. I believe. Help my unbelief. <laughs> I want to believe more. Or you have taken that step and you're worn down. Peter's word is a word to us. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. If it's really you who's drawn near, I want to come to you. That's faith as trust. I'll close with this story. I was on a trip with a bunch of Anglican priests. It's funner than you think. We were in Colorado and we were going to repel. We climb up on this thing. The guy, in my opinion, very hastily puts the rig together and I'm suspicious. So I want to watch other people go off first. But the leader of the trip, who knows me pretty well, is like, Chris, you go first. Because one of his beliefs is that destabilization creates an environment for trust. So he destabilized me. And I was like, okay. I didn't trust the rope yet, and I didn't trust this, what appeared to me, teenager with a very thin mustache <laughs> rigging up this pulley, but I did trust this guy. I did, I did trust him. So I went, and I hated about five seconds of it, and then it was great. That's entrusting ourselves. That's what faith is. You actually have to lean back and see if the rope will hold you. Sorry, that's just the way it is, because that's how all relationship works. There's no human relationship that doesn't have that level of trust, where you have to lean back and see if the rope will hold you. And then you ride the rope all the way down, and that's the fun part. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Maybe that's where some of you are today. If it, and that he faltered. Because we falter too. And if we are those who are weary right now and feel like we're drowning in the water, pray, Lord, that you would reach your hand down into that abyss and pull us to you. We love you, Lord.
It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.